Hello, this is Zach Driscoll welcoming you to the Real Men Podcast. This podcast is specifically designed to equip men of all ages. My dad's heart has always been to build up men to be strong followers of Jesus and future leaders for their families. We want to build men up, not beat men up. For more Bible-centered resources like this, visit realfaith.com slash realmen. Now get ready for this week's Real Men Talk from my dad, Pastor Mark. Great to have you guys. So excited to see you. So encouraged by you. And, uh, and, and you, if you're new, let me just tell you this. You're surrounded with the best guys, period. These are the guys that are going to walk with you, pray for you, encourage you. And here's our big idea. We're here to build men up. And we know that the world we're in just beats you down. And so if you've come here, you've had a week, been a little bit rough, we're here to help. If you've had a good week, tell us about it. We'd love to hear about somebody who's not depressed. And we're here to encourage, love, and serve one another. And thank you to everyone who's joining us online. And uh, if you'd like to come visit, we'd love to have you. And i like to make this appeal. Uh, I'd like to tell the senior pastors online, if you wanna start a men's ministry or grow a men's ministry, if you'll come out as a senior pastor, we'll host you here at Real Men. We'll invest in you, we'll pray for you, we'll send you back to your church so that you can invest in your men. Because let me tell you this, once you get the men, the men figure everything else out. And that's why we're here. And that's why we're here. So the way this works, uh, there's also a study guide. You can grab it on the way out or it's free online at realfaith.com. Help you go through a book of the Bible. We're in a book of the Bible called James. James is written by Jesus' younger half-brother. And I like to call him the blue-collar scholar of the New Testament. How many of you grew up blue-collar family? Right, change your own oil, it's cheaper. Uh, you, you never really had uh, real butter. You were the margarine family. Uh, you, you know the multiple uses of spam. Um, you know the difference you know, between a roofing hammer and a finish hammer, you're those guys. Okay, and some of you guys grew up in white collar you know, homes. Great, you won. So for the rest of us, I grew up in blue collar houses. My dad drove a truck. My dad's name is Joe, tool belt, construction worker, union drywaller. So James grows up in a family like that. We tend to think of Bible teachers and theologians and religious leaders as very, very you know, highly academic and spiritual and they live in libraries. And, and James didn't grow up in that kind of family. His dad's going to work every day to put food on the table. They got a bunch of kids, it's a poor family. And what would happen as soon as the sons were old enough, they're going to work with dad to, just like you would on a farm to make ends meet, swing the hammer, go to work, son. So how James views life with God is really taking your faith to work and he's going to work with his dad, he's going to work with his brother. James is one of those practical, rich, blue collar books and it's about getting stuff done. There are certain guys that like to talk about ideas and there are other guys that are all about the actions. Get it built, get it done. And that's exactly how James operates. He is the blue collar scholar of the New Testament. That being said, the theme that we've looked at is trials. And so what we like to do is we'll have a sermon on the weekend and then we do a short pivot and a leadership talk for you men to build you up as leaders and to encourage you to get some time building friendships, brotherhood, and then praying for each other. And that's what we're gonna do in our time together. When it comes to this issue of trials, most of the time, people don't wanna hear about it. Most of the time, if you tell people you're having a problem, um, they don't wanna know about it because they've got their own problems. And when the Bible's talking about trials, what it's saying is you're going to go through, we're going to go through our trials. We're gonna have those really rough patches and seasons. And that's the time that you need to activate your faith 
Because ultimately, if your faith doesn't work on your hardest day, then what good is your faith? And if God doesn't help on your most dark and difficult day, then of what use is your God? And so he's talking about trials. So we're gonna talk about trials, but we're not gonna do so in a way that is totally discouraging. We're not gonna do so in a way that is a bunch of grumpy guys just sort of complaining, but trying to find God's will and to power through it so that we can become more like Jesus because of it. So uh, the first, we're gonna do three questions and I'll just sort of riff on these. And then these will be your discussion points around your table. What's your trial? So this is the theme of James. So when you guys get together and you talk, uh, what's your trial? And you can't all say my wife. You gotta come up with something else. <laughs> something else. Your wife is over in women's ministry and she's like, my husband. So uh, you're equally yoked. So great, you're driving each other crazy. But at the end of the day, what is your trial? And sometimes the trial, it's a big thing. So some of you guys, it's a big thing. How many of you guys right now, you say my trial is a big thing. And sometimes it's a pile of little things. How many of you, it's not one big thing, it's a whole bunch of small to medium sized things. And, and so we've each got our trial. What is yours? Is it financial? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual, physical, sexual? What is your trial right now? The thing that when you get up in the morning, you're like, that's kind of the anxiety in my gut. That's my frustration. That's what I'm worried about. When my head hits the pillow at night, like, that's the person or thing that's kind of, kind of got me and it's, it's the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with. And then uh, he says this as well in James 1.12, blessed is the man, so we want that to be you men, who remain steadfast under trial. We've all seen it. We've all seen it if you're a soldier in war, everybody's tough in boot camp, amen? Every guy is Rambo in boot camp. And then you go to battle and, and then certain guys have got urine stains and tears. And you're like, yeah, that was quick. There's a line in the Old Testament, it's, a, it's an ungodly guy who says something that's actually very wise. He says, a guy who is putting his uniform on for the first time should not boast like the man who's taking it off. And the point is this, like everybody's tough until you're in a fight. Mike Tyson used to say, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> right? that, that sometimes life just comes and it punches you right in the face. You're like, I had a plan. And now I don't even remember what the plan was. And what he's talking about is steadfast under trial. And that is, you're not perfect, but you're going forward. You're not rebelling, you're not quitting, you're not freaking out. You're not going into a fight, flight, or fright. You're proceeding forward with faith. And it doesn't mean you're doing it perfectly, but you're doing it to the best of your ability. So what is your trial? And the goal is steadfast. Some of you are good Christians when things are good. You're bad Christians when things are bad. Some of you are the opposite, right? When things are bad, you're a good Christian. You're like, my life is painful. I'm gonna read my Bible. You're like, it doesn't hurt. I'm gonna go get drunk. So what happens is some of you are good Christians or bad Christians, depending upon your circumstances. Steadfastness is consistency through the good seasons, the bad seasons, the, the good days, the bad days. And when the trials come, let me say this, Trials don't change you, they reveal you, okay? Who you really are comes out under pressure, okay? Who you really are comes out under pressure. I brushed my teeth this morning, as I hope you did, because we're gonna have discussions around the table and the guys would appreciate it if you brush your teeth. But when you squeeze the tube of toothpaste, what comes out is what's already in. What a trial does, it just squeezes you. And whatever's in, that's what comes out. If you're an angry person, you're gonna be really angry. 
If you're a scared person, you're gonna be really afraid. If, um, if you're a high control person, you're gonna be freaking out. If you're a joyful person, you're actually gonna go next level joy. So what a trial does, it squeezes out of you what is in you and what God wants to put in you through the Holy Spirit is steadfastness, like hang in there. And let me say this, every guy has a day when he wants to quit his job. True or false? True. Even the guys that are here with their boss, raise their hand. They're like, that's true. Yeah. Um, if you are married, at some point, you're gonna hit a day when you, you just, you wanna get out of the, you're like, I'm done, I wanna get out. True or false? True, true. All the single guys are like, oh gosh. It's coming, brother. All right. Because uh, the single guys, they, they're cute because they have hope. They're, they're like, uh, you know, they, they, they read Genesis one, two, or they're like, oh, God made a girl. She's naked and perfect. Yay. Well, I'm telling you, bro, keep reading. Uh, she, <laughs> they have a fight and she puts her clothes on. It goes south, right? So, um, yeah. <laughs> How many of you, at some point, you love your kids, but at some point, <laughs> you're like, I'd trade them for a ham sandwich and I don't even like ham. Like, I, I love, I just, I don't want to do with this kid. Right, we, if you're an honest man, there, no matter what your responsibility is, you're gonna hit a day. And the reason I tell you, this is funny. So one of my kids, they act, the other kids actually nicknamed him ham sandwich. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said this. The therapist has figured it out and helped the kid. But um, I, I was eating a ham sandwich and, the, and I was like, man, I, 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 I won't even tell you what I said, but they nicknamed the kid ham sandwich. So what happens is at some point in your life, you're like, I'm done with marriage. I'm done with parenting. I'm done with my job. I'm done with the in-laws. I'm done with the outlaws. I'm done with the church. I'm done with the Republicans. I'm done with the Democrats. I'm done with the libertarians. Like I'm just done. And in those days, it's what does steadfastness look like? What does it look like for your faith to carry you through a season that you otherwise simply are not going to endure? You're just gonna, that's it, I'm done. I just quit. And what some of you guys have done, you've lived your life, you get into a trial, you're getting squeezed and you are not steadfast, you quit to relieve the pressure of the squeezing. And then you get a little reprieve. And then what happens eventually? Another trial comes, you start getting squeezed again. It's like, if it's not this job, it'll be that job, right? If it's not that gal, it's gonna be this gal. If it's not this church, it's gonna be that church. At some point, the squeeze comes and steadfastness endures through it. Trust that God will be with you and for you and he's gonna use it to do some work in your soul. So how do you remain steadfast? How many of you guys struggle with steadfastness through trial? How many of you guys don't struggle equally with steadfastness through blessing, right? You're like, I won the lottery today and I retired and the hammock showed up in the mail. I can do this, <laughs> steadfast, right? It's, it's sometimes easier to be steadfast when there's no trial. And it's like the, the lake has no waves on it. It's, it's really easy to be the captain. When the storm comes and the swells rise up, it's being steadfast and finding a way to navigate it. How do you do that? And what he gives us is a clue in James chapter one, and he says to look for the joy in the gifts. And so uh, joy is in James one, two, and three, count it all joy. Most men don't start with joy. A few of you guys, you've got the gift of encouragement. You wake up and you're in a good mood. Most men, true or false, wake up not in the best mood. And through the course of the day, 
You feel like you're a crash test dummy in a series of head-on collisions with no seatbelt or airbag. Most men every day is just like, who's gonna hit me? What's gonna hit me? What have I gotta put up with? What do I gotta endure? Most men don't start with joy. And when the trial comes, um, it is very important for men to find some joy in it. Is there anything that brings you joy? Is there anyone that brings you joy? Is there anything or anyone that you enjoy? Count it all joy, my brothers. This is why we're here together. James and Jesus were br literally brothers. We want you to be brothers. And sometimes you're close with your family, but sometimes you're even closer with the guys that are in God's family. And the reason that we're here is so that you can find your brothers for the battle. These are guys that think like me, they love God, they believe the Bible, they're trying to figure out what to do. I need to find my brothers. Because you're gonna have your battles and you have to have your brothers. That's why we're here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's all kinds of trials. Some of you, again, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, national, political, global, local, you've got other people that you know and love and they're going through their trials and you're burdened in it with them and for them. And it's just all kinds of trials. And you get through one kind of trial and guess what? And there's another kind of trial and life is just filled with trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He keeps using that word steadfastness. And what he's saying is this, that life around you can have some deep swells, but the spirit of God can maintain some consistency in you to navigate those storms. And then he says, in addition to joy, he says in James 1:17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes uh, from above, from the father of lights. What I love here, his picture of God is that God is our father. Okay. So let me just start with this. There is far too little teaching on God as Father. If you grew up in church, you've been attending church, you hear a lot about Jesus, the Son of God, which is great. He's our Savior, lived without sin, died for our sin, rose as our Savior, is ruling and reigning, coming again to judge the living and the dead. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. We love Jesus and you need Jesus. In most churches, you hear a lot about Jesus. If you go to some churches, you hear a little bit about the Holy Spirit but you don't hear hardly anything about the Father. And when you tell men that God loves them, and he told us earlier in James, and he's gonna tell us repeatedly, that you are God's beloved, that God loves you. As men, when we hear that word love, it can be a little odd, because we think of like Hallmark uh, movies or lifetime shows around the holidays, um, Valentine's Day. You think of things, you're like, that's not super masculine. The Father heart of God, is love for you, but it's a father's love. How many of you were dads and you get a father's love? How many of you didn't even know what it meant to really love until you held your kid? And then there's this whole kind of love that erupts in you. How many of you, you, it was, you went next level, grandkid. Like I, I thought I loved somebody and then I held my grandkid. And it was like a whole new kind of love. When you understand God as father, it unlocks in you and a man an identity as son that's secure, okay? Just like Jesus is the son of God, you are the sons of God. You're in that position of love and affection and approval. And what this means is you don't work for his love, you work from his love. I've got five kids, three boys, two girls. I would never look at my sons and say, okay, here's your job description. 
If you do these things at the finish line, your dad will love you. I start with love at the starting line. I am your dad and I love you. I'm here to help for the whole race. Okay? God's heart toward you is a father. You are a son and we are brothers. And see, this, this, what we're doing here is actually exactly what James is talking about. God is the father. Jesus is our big brother. Uh, we are sons of the father and little brothers to Jesus. And we are brothers to one another. That's why we're here. And what he says is God gives joy even in the trial and God drops gifts into the trial. So you're in your life, you're in your trial and the father is above it and he's dropping gifts of various sorts and kinds into your trial. So I love what James does. He says, the trial comes, how do you be steadfast? Find the joy, find the gifts. Now the miseries and the complexities, they're going to find you. You don't need to do an Easter egg hunt for the bad stuff in the trial. It's obvious. How many of us as men, when the trial comes, we just lose our joy and we lose sight of anything that is good because we're so overwhelmed by all that is bad. Is it just me? Okay. And so I, I was talking to a, a pastor, uh, not to name drop, but a pastor named Rick Warren, just a loving godly man that I appreciate a lot some years ago. And we were driving around in his truck and he said, Mark, uh, he just said something, just felt like saying it. And it was, it was brilliant. And it stuck with me ever since. And I've shared it before, but I'll share it again. He said, I used to think, uh, this is back when I was a young pastor and I had bangs and hope. Um, so this was a long time ago. But uh, when I was a young pastor, he said, uh, he said, I used to think that life was seasons, good season, bad season, good season, bad season. And he said, so I just thought if you just kind of get through the bad seasons, then you'll get into the good season. How many of you have thought that? How many of you have lived long enough? You're like, I haven't seen the good season. This is where men get jaded, discouraged, and frustrated. They're like, man, I just powered through. I was grinding it out through the trial, waiting for it to be over, and then to get into, you know, kind of a good season of blessing and peace and joy. And how many of you have lived that way? I lived that way for 18 years. Work, 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 grind, push, grind, push, grind, push. And after 18 years, there was never that season where it's like, oh, I don't need to go to heaven. I'm already there. Every time I woke up, there was something else. He said, what I realize now is that life is like train tracks. Some of you have heard this analogy. Every day there's good, there's bad. There's attack from the enemy, there's blessing from God. There's something to be worried about and something to be grateful for. Every day, those two train tracks, they just are consistent. And let me say, life isn't good seasons and bad season. In every season, it's good and bad. How many of you hearing that, that makes more sense of the experience in your life? So what he's saying here is when the trial comes to be steadfast and endured and persevere through it, you gotta pay attention, look for, invest some energy in that track where there's joy and gifts. Because the other track, you're gonna be well aware of it. How many of you guys, trial comes, you're so focused on this track, you lose sight of that track. 
How's it going? Terrible. Here's all my problems. Here's my fears. Here's my frustrations. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's Drew driving me crazy. Okay, but is, is, there any, is there any joy? Are there any gifts? And oftentimes the joy is connected to the gift that God sends a gift down and it awakens the joy. That might be the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. So I want you as men to start asking this question, not only what is your trial or what are your trials, but where are your joy and gifts in your trial? And I'll go through the who, what, where, why, when, and how. So as you're going through the trial, looking for the gifts and the joy, who is in your life that they're a joy or a gift? Who is it? Okay. And sometimes the people that you're just sort of dumping on, they love you. And the truth is they're there and they're listening and they care. Well, they're a joy and a gift. Who or what in your life in the trial is a joy or a gift? Um, the what question, what has God given you? Sometimes the gifts that God drops into the trial, they're very practical. Here's a job, here's a car, you know, here's a connection. Um, you know, here's something that you need. Sometimes it's a tangible physical gift actual gift, something that God drops into your life. Who is the gift? What is the gift? Um, where has God shown up? How many of you, it's in the worst seasons that God shows up in the most extraordinary ways? Uh, there's a verse in Peter that says, as our suffering increases, so does the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because as we need more, he gives more. Okay? And so sometimes when you're going through the worst, God shows up in the best way. And, 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 and as a man, you can almost feel a little unstable or bipolar. You're like, I don't know, if I think about this, I, I just, I, I, I'm so frustrated, angry, depressed, fearful, sick of it. And I think about this, like, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. I'm so blessed. You're like, welcome to life. It's both and all the time. And usually the worse this gets, the best this gets. Usually there's a commence uh, correlation between the two. So not only who or what or where, let me ask you this, as you're looking at it, why do you think, why do you think that Satan or the world has decided to bring this to you? And what do you think God wants to use it for? So there's a story in Joseph where his brothers betray him in Genesis. They throw him in a hole, they sell him as a slave, they leave him for dead, they tell his dad that he's dead. And him and his dad got a really close relationship. He then gets taken as a slave, he gets falsely accused of rape, he gets falsely imprisoned. I mean, horrific painful life. And God shows up and it says that he's filled with the spirit of God. And then God raises him up to oversee the economics of a whole nation. And lo and behold, who needs grace from him? His brothers. And he got gifts from God and he gave gifts to them. It's one of those weird stories where it's like, Joseph had the most horrific and painful life and also Satan was using it to destroy him, to discourage him, to frustrate him. And instead he was steadfast. And as a result, God used it for incredible blessing and benefit to everyone. So there's this uh, situation 
Uh, just kind of verbal process and this just came to mind. But in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph's brothers are still worried that because they were so bad to him that he can't really be good to them, right? Like we were so awful to him. Why would he be wonderful to us? So they're scared of him. He's trying to give them gifts and bless them and be generous and they're scared. And he asked this question in Genesis uh, 50, 19, uh, he, he asks, am I in the place of God? The answer is, he kind of is. Egypt is the most powerful nation on the earth. The Pharaoh ruled and reigned as God. And Joseph is his right-hand man. He's literally sitting in the Jesus seat, the right hand of ruling and reigning over the kingdom and overseeing the wealth. So he can have them killed. He can punish them. He can torment them. He can imprison them. He can do whatever he wants to them. He kind of is in the position of God. And he looks at him and what he says is this. He says, what you intended for evil, God used for good and the saving of many lives. What he says is you, you guys were determined to ride this track and God just picked the cart up and said, I'm putting it on this track. When you're in a trial, know that God and Satan are both in it. And Satan, he wants you to ride this track and God wants you to ride that track. The only way you'll be steadfast is if you find God and good in the trial. That's the only way to stay steadfast. How do you do that? Okay, where's the joy? Where's the gift? Okay, Father, you're up there. You say you're gonna give wisdom, you're gonna give gifts, it's gonna come down and, and it'll give me joy. Okay, so you're looking for it but also being aware that God and Satan are both at work in the trial. What is Satan trying to do? What is God trying to do? In addition, how about this one? The who, the what, the where, the why, when? Um, when will you be able to take what you're learning through your trial and use it to help somebody else? One way that a trial goes from this track to that track is you learn something and you help someone, okay? There are guys in this room, they buried their wife. That is, that is the death track, but they have been steadfast through it. And so then now they can minister to you. And what that is, it takes all the pain, all the frustration, all the loss from this track and it moves over to this track. So now they're blessing others, they're helping others, they're giving a gift of wisdom and friendship and love and support and helping to uh, create steadfastness in someone else. Sometimes the way that we find joy in the trial and a gift through the trial is we help someone else in their trial. And let me tell you, this is the key to being a dad. This is the key to being a dad. There are some things that I've gone through that I wished I would have never went through, but if I can use those things to help my kids, it goes from this track to that track. Amen. It goes from the worst thing to at least I can use it to help my kid and to minister to others. So part of the reason that we're here, some of you guys, you've, you, you've, you've had major trials, like you've done major miles on this track. Some of you guys have battled cancer, lost jobs, gotten fired, been divorced, seen kids go prodigal, bury your own kid. I mean, you've been through it. But the things that you've learned and the ways that you have, through your failures and successes, gained wisdom, if you'll take it over and put an arm around the guy next to you and go, I'm here to help. All of a sudden, you're the gift. 
You're the gift that God sent down. And you're taking what was your worst experience and you're using it to be a gift to someone else, which brings you joy. That's why it says of Jesus, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. Let me ask you this, did Jesus enjoy being crucified? No, nobody enjoys being crucified. He's up all night the night before sweating like drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane, praying, Father, if there's another way to get people saved without me being crucified, let's talk about that. The joy wasn't in the cross, the joy was through the cross, because as he went through the cross, the joy on the other side was that he would bless us and minister to us. And so for us, as we're going through it, the joy isn't in it, but the joy is on the ministry that we can use to love and serve others on the other side of it. And then lastly, when it comes to finding the joy in the gifts, um, how is God using this bad to do his good in you? Anybody who's been into surgery is like, it hurts like crazy and then it gets better. Anybody goes into physical therapy, it's really painful and then slowly it improves. How is God using this, which is bad, to do good that is in you? And as Christians, we don't have to say, well, it's good, is it? No, sometimes things are just bad, they're evil, they're wrong. They're painful, they're unjust, they're cruel, they're horrific, they're confusing, they're bewildering, they're overwhelming, they're horrible. And God can use it. It doesn't mean that it was good. It means that he is good. And some of you, your deepest character work has come through your most painful trials, okay? So the first question in your table will be, um, what's your trial? What's your thing? Number two, where's the joy in the gifts? Where are the gifts that God is giving? And, and where are you finding joy? And as men, let me say, we just struggle with this. We don't see the gifts, we see the lack. Here's what I need, here's what I don't have, here's what needs to happen, da, 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 da. We don't say, okay, Father, you've dropped these things into my life, these people into my life. We just see what still remains undone. In addition, we tend to think that we will have joy when everything comes together and or the trial is over. The truth is, it may never. In addition, what if it's a long time and all the people that are around us, our wives, our kids, our friends, our coworkers, they just get this joyless, cheerless, grumpy, curmudgeon version of us. Okay, now don't raise your hand if you're here with your dad, but how many of you grown up your dad, you're like, he was just not a happy guy. He was just a grumpy guy. He just was a distracted guy. He was an angry guy. He was a sad guy. He was a scared guy. Joy? No, wasn't a lot of joy coming out of dad. Fruit of the spirit is joy and the joy of the Lord is your strength. And dad talked a lot about what he didn't have and he didn't talk a lot about what he did have. The way you overcome that spirit and the way you remain steadfast is you look for the gifts and you find the joy. And when you do, the third thing you can do is this, who can you encourage through a trial? Like, who can you help? Who can you help? And so in this, James, who's writing this, he's seen his family go through a lot of trials. So he's talking a lot about trials. His mom was the Virgin Mary, which sounds awesome, unless you're the poor, rural, 
teenage peasant girl surrounded with religious people and you're pregnant and you're not married. Then your reputation is trashed. Her reputation was trashed. And then, you know, Joseph, the engaged fiance, he's thinking, I got to get divorced. I picked the bad girl. She's not faithful. And then Jesus' whole life, they're picking on him. In John 8, the religious people come out, they're like, at least we know who our dad is. He's like, yeah, your father's the devil. So, he, you know, he's good on his feet. That's a nice comeback. So then James grows up in a family where his brother is claiming to be God and everybody thinks he's a cult leader and a madman. Well, that's a lot of trial. You go to school, you're like, oh, who's your big brother, Jesus? Oh, the guy who thinks he's God? Yeah, that one. It's odd. And it's a lot to live up to if you're James and Jesus is your big brother, right? He's perfect. That's rough if you're the kid brother. That's rough. And then James sees his brother harassed and he sees his mother weeping and he sees his brother crucified and then risen and then returned to heaven. And now James becomes a pastor and he's leading the first Christians. And everybody who's a critic or an enemy knows, let's just pound on James. Cause if we can flip him, we can undo Christianity. If his brother's like, no, nope, my big brother's a liar, con man. He's not God, he's evil. I saw him up close, he's a total charlatan. Then literally James can just be the use of the enemy to just undermine and just to topple Christianity. So his whole life is trials. And then at the end they come to him, they're like, all right, you, you either deny your brother is God or we throw you off the temple. It's a rough, they throw off temple, he didn't die. So then they come and beat him up until he does die. So the point is this, James is, he knows trial and he knows gifts and blessing, right? I mean, the gift to him was God came down, shared a bunk bed with him. That's quite a gift. That's quite a blessing. That's a lot of joy. What James is doing, he's taking everything that he's learned through his trials and he's using it to encourage and minister to us. So how can we do that as men, okay? Most of you men do not have an encourager in your life. And so what we think is, well, I don't have an encourager, then we need to be the encourager, okay? Even if you don't have the encourager, and we wanna be encouraging to one another, for sure. And encouragement is literally to pour courage into a man. You're looking at the future like, I'm having a hard time being steadfast. We're gonna need some courage. Let me pour some into you. It's called encouragement. The way we encourage one another, and as men, we could set a culture of encouraging, praying, so we're gonna do that. With your wife, kids, family, friends, just be praying with and for them. Sometimes meeting, hey, let's grab coffee, let's go watch a game, um, you know, let's go watch the Diamondbacks, it's quiet, there's no one there, it's private. <laughs> I was there the other night, there were more Braves fans than there were, uh, it was sad. Uh, but it was nice, we had a whole section to ourselves, my wife and I. We could have very deep intimate conversation with no one interrupting us. And it's not like anything is happening, so we're not missing anything. But it's just meeting with the guy. And sometimes it's just checking in, calling, texting, and email. And hey, man, I know you're in it. I'm just checking in. I, I called a buddy of mine. He's a pastor out of state. And uh, they're kind of in it right now with governor and all the nonsense. And he said, why are you calling? I said, oh, this is a suicide watch. You know, like, are you, you're doing okay, buddy? You hanging in there? I mean, you know, I, how are you doing? Sometimes it's just sending scripture and even as a group. 
I had a buddy of mine, he was battling a life-threatening illness. He'd been a huge blessing to me in one of the worst seasons of my life. And I just decided, I said, I'm gonna send you an encouraging scripture every day until you're better or dead. So for a year, I got up every morning, I'd pray, I'd find scripture, I'd send it to him. And uh, hadn't, he lives out of state and I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, when I saw him, he said, uh, I printed out every single one of those. And I've got them in a notebook on my desk. And every day I just keep reading. He's like, thanks for, I was like, because that's the power of God's word. Sometimes when you don't know what to say, you just tell them something God said. Let him do the talking. Also, it's, sometimes it's by giving praise. It's just saying, hey, this is encouraging. You know, let me bless you here. Let me just thank you. Let me just point something out. Sometimes the encouragement is just listening. And sometimes that's what we're gonna do around the table. It's just like, I'm just gonna listen. I'm gonna be... And then the ministry of presence, just being there. It's like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I, I'm sorry, but I'm here and I'm caring and I'm listening and I'm praying and I'm trying. So um, how many of you men really struggle when you're going through your trial to find joy, to see the gifts and to encourage others, okay? I suck at this. Okay, and if that word bothers you, we just found the religious guys. So, so let me, can I be real honest with you here, real men? So I was a total jerk to my wife last night and we haven't had a chance to talk and patch it up. So this is a message from a guy who has a great sermon and a frustrated wife. Um, we call that a pastor. And so, um, so what happened is, We've been busy. Life is, we had a rough season, pretty good season, you know, kind of, you know, you know driving on the tracks. And then uh, I'm a guy who I tend not to get as frustrated by the big things. It's the little things that continue to happen. How many of you, the big things are like, that frustrates me. You're like, big things I can handle. The little things that keep happening, those drive me crazy. That's me, okay? Um, and so um, this week, um, I threw in some other events with my wife and I needed her with me. And how many of you are very scheduled, very sequenced, your cause, effect, everything is in order. There's a plan, everything is rolling according to plan. And it's the little disruptions in the day or the life that kind of set you off. And in that moment, it may not be a big deal, but it's a trial for you because if you don't respond well, everybody around you is gonna pay a price, okay? So, my wife got jammed up with some things. She made some bad decisions with her time and some emergencies came and, I, and all this. So we got home late last night. And my thought was, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go into my study and I'm gonna prepare this talk for real men on how to persevere through trials with joy and with uh, encouragement uh, toward others. And, uh, and I got done with the talk and it was late. And I thought, this is a good talk, pretty good. I mean, for me, it was a pretty good talk. And then all I thought was, I'm done. I'm done for today. I'm gonna go sit on the couch. I'm gonna give myself a break. I've earned it, been a good boy today. Ended my day studying the word of God and, uh, and I'm gonna get a break. And I go downstairs. My wife likes to study on the couch. <laughs> we have one television near the couch. And I tell her all the time, you can't study on the couch. 
Uh, I don't have any verses, but I'm sure that's the will of the Lord. <laughs> so the couch is where I rest. And she's like, no, the couch is where I work. I can't work. You can't work where I rest. Uh, that doesn't work for me because uh, I can't rest. So I came down, she's got her books and commentaries. My wife, her name is Grace and she's studying the Bible and I'm ticked. <laughs> okay. okay. This is probably not her fault, okay? Because she started her studying late and my wife is usually late and I'm usually early. And so I spend that time being frustrated. So that's how we roll, if I can be totally honest with you. So I was like, honey, you can't study here. You should already have this work done. <laughs> yeah, that's a form of birth control right there. That is, that is. That did not work. We'll take that off the internet. But that, you know, that didn't work. And so I got frustrated with, I'm like, hey, I've worked hard all day. You're disorganized. This is my couch. I got one, I gave her the whole thing. Yeah, good job. Okay, so says the single guy who doesn't know why. Okay, so, so in that moment, my wife, she's in her trial trying to get her work done to love and serve the women. I'm in my trial. Here's my trial. Am I going to be selfish? That's my trial. It's not a, it's not a catastrophic thing. In that moment, am I gonna serve my wife and encourage her or am I gonna be selfish and discourage her? In that little moment, it was my trial. I did pretty good all day. I encouraged my wife all day. So uh, the Holy Spirit just reminded me of something. So dang it. Okay, so every week during James, I schedule a meeting with God and I go hiking in the woods and I talk and I pray. And this week I said, Lord, is there anything you want me, anything you wanna to say to me? This was last Friday. And he said, encourage grace. By Wednesday, I forgot. <laughs> and I did the opposite. I discouraged grace. God spoke to me, told me, this is gonna be your trial, son. Something, you're gonna wanna not encourage, you're gonna wanna discourage your wife. You're gonna wanna criticize her and not coach her. And so what I did is I was grumpy with my wife. Nothing catastrophic, but just, mm. so then I had two choices. I could apologize or go to bed. So I went to bed <laughs> and just being honest with you. <laughs> How many of you are feeling better about your marriage right now? Like, like I went in there feeling terrible until I heard that preacher and he's really screwed up. I'm doing pretty good. So, uh, so then uh, I slept in this morning. She came in to serve the lady. She's been teaching all day. I sent her a text apologizing. Uh, and after this, I'm gonna go apologize to my wife. Um, because I was, what can happen when you're in your trial? We get selfish. And the trial can be big and you're like, oh, I have a big reason to be selfish. Well, but they're in their trial too. And you know, how can you encourage them and be the blessing to them and be the gift to them and bring joy to them? And what I find is that when I'm in a trial, that's when I'm the most selfish. And in that moment, my wife, let me just tell you this, I married a great girl. 
I mean, she's still with me. She has a high pain tolerance. Uh, she's cute. She's joyful. She smiles. She laughs a lot. Like, it, her name is Grace. My initials are MAD, Mark Allen Driscoll. My initials are MAD. <laughs> and I always say, when there's a fight between MAD and Grace, it's probably not Grace's fault, okay? But I just tell you that because this is something that is not a lesson that I learn. I think it's a lesson that I need to relearn every day. Because every day there's another trial, every day there's another wrinkle, there's another variable. And even, and sometimes it's a big thing. And what I find is I tend to do pretty good with the big trials and I tend to trip over my own feet in the little trials. So if my wife would have came in and said, you know, I've got the, you know, I told my car, something, you know, that's a thing. I'd be like, okay, I'm good to go. But the fact that she's sitting on the couch, that's what gets me. So I love you. I don't teach because I'm there. Uh, we're all in it together. And I need to go apologize to my wife tonight uh, because it doesn't do any good to preach a good sermon if you're a bad husband. And last night I was a bad husband. Um, so I'll pray for you. And we wanna encourage you, but we want you guys to be honest. We don't want this to be the place where it's like, well, you know, that harsh accountability. The Bible says, hey, have you done it? Are you obedient? Like, I don't know, none of us have. So let's walk together and do better by God's grace. Amen. Father, thanks for an opportunity to ramble a bit. And God, thank you for my wife. She's the best. I love her with all my heart. She's, God, there's a lot of gals I've met I could live with. She's the one girl I met I couldn't live without. And God, I adore her. She's been nothing but a blessing to me. And and God, she doesn't have malice in her heart. Uh, but last night I had selfishness and I wasn't a servant. And as a result, I discouraged her rather than encouraging her. And God, I was thinking about me getting a break after my trials. I wasn't thinking that she was still in her trial. And as a result, Lord, um, I failed my test. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are gracious and let us retake the test. And I thank you that I have a a godly wife who will forgive me and work with me. And God, I just confess as men that we, we sometimes pay a lot more attention to the bad track than the good track. Uh, when we're in a trial, we can be a lot more selfish than servant, uh, that we can lose our joy and we can overlook the gifts. And uh, as a result, Lord, we miss opportunities to encourage others who are in their own trial. And God, I failed at this and I pray for these men to do better than their pastor in Jesus' good name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you. This is the end of today's sermon. We hope today's word encourages you to be stronger men of Christ. If you live in Arizona, I invite you to attend Real Men. We meet every Wednesday night here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. For more resources like this, visit realfaith.com. And remember, it's all about Jesus.